0: Well, good morning. It's very good to be with you all. It's always good to come here and see new faces and old faces. Uh, that could be taken wrong. Um, although my face is older. Yeah, that's right. I'm a, I'm a grandfather, and I know that I don't look old enough to be a grandfather. There, we'll, we'll go with that. It's a blessing to be here. The elders of Reformed Baptist Church and Reformed Baptist Church of Elizabeth Elizabethtown greet you all. They wanted to make sure that they sent their greetings along with me uh, and my family that are with me. Um, very excited to uh be here with you all uh, and to preach. Um, I want to talk about divine love. In my, in my mind, having gone through significant trials and difficulties in ministry, um, I have come to a place where I am convinced that every outworking of grace in our life is one, because we are united with Christ as we heard our brother say during the first hour it's also because God has shed his love abroad in our hearts. And the outworking of our Christianity, the outworking of grace, the outworking of the great work of God in our lives, the practical implications of our Christianity ought to be centered on the love of God towards us and our love toward the people of God. One of the things that just breaks my heart about being a Reformed Baptist is the infighting that happens over doctrinal issues. Most often those doctrinal issues are secondary issues, third tier issues, and a lot of times issues that just simply don't matter. I, I told our elders, uh, my fellow elders, Tommy and, and James, I said, did you realize if we had everybody that had darkened the doors of our assembly over the past seven years, our assembly would measure in at almost 300 folks. We have 30 members. Why is that? I have become convinced it's because one of the things that we wrestle with the most is our love for one another. And if we are wrestling... The most, with our love for one another, what we're really wrestling with is obedience to that first great command. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul. Our text for today is a very deep text, but I'm going to be very pointed in my application of it. If you would please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll begin in verse 1 for context, and we'll read through verse 10. The word of the Lord. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, that great King James word for behavior, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them." Lord, please help me. Please help this poor, lisping, stammering tongue. Please help my simple mind. O oh, Lord God, may You use me today in this place as an instrument of grace in the hands of my Redeemer. And O oh, Lord God, I pray that we would see You together as a body here in this place. I pray we would see You much more clearly than we have ever seen You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, often, often when we come to the passage that we have just read in Ephesians chapter 2, the verses that we most often quote from this passage, of course, are verses 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We quote these verses often. In fact, these verses are a primary proof text for the doctrines of grace. And yet, those words mean absolutely nothing if we separate them from what comes before in that passage. And what comes before is this, that God loved us. He was rich in mercy. His love towards us is great. In fact, I would argue that all grace toward the people of God, every outworking of every gracious benefit that we have as the people of God is sourced in His eternal love. It has to be. The alternative is His eternal wrath and anger, which is just against us as sinners. And of course, we know that God's love is not a love that is returned upon us because of our will exercised towards Him. We love Him only because He first loved us. Only because He expressed that love towards us by giving His Son as the propitiation for our sin against Him. Really, our sin against Him is the outworking of a dead heart that has an utter absence of love toward our Creator. The love of God for us is most certainly a mysterious love. And that's because it's a love that originates within the triune Godhead. The love wherewith God has loved us is seated firmly within a triune reality. God the Father loves the Son. God the Father and God the Son love the Spirit. And within the triune Godhead, we have a triune community of love. It is a love that is expressed upon us Through no merit of our own. That's what makes it so fascinating to me. And it ought to be fascinating to each and every one of you. If you claim to be a child of God. His love toward us has been shed abroad in our hearts. So that the Godhead might glorify Himself through His own work in us. When we express love towards one another, we are at that point in time more like the Lord Jesus Christ than at any other point in our life. Do you want to mirror the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on earth, His obedience to God the Father? Then love the person sitting next to you. Love the person who is hard to love. I'm hard to love. Ask my wife. To better understand the glorious mysteries of God's love wherewith He has loved us, we must consider what the love of God is. To understand at any depth what the love of God is, we must come to understand to the degree that our own frailty allows who it is that commends His love towards us. You cannot understand the love of God shed abroad in your heart if you do not know who God is. The love of God is a holy love because He Himself is holy. In First John chapter 4, we are told that God is love and that love is of God. If this is true, it is not a love that is common love that emanates from our own affection and desires. It is not a love that we so often see in the world around us today, but it's something altogether different. It is a selfless love. The love of God cannot be separated from His eternality because God is eternal. Eternal. Every one of His attributes are those which are eternally held by Him. So then, if His love is a love that is eternal because He is eternal, then we understand that the love wherein He has loved us is a love that will not change. And I am so incredibly thankful for that. Anybody who's been married for any length of time, me and my wife will next Actually, in a couple of weeks, three or four weeks, celebrate 22 years. And my love for my wife to my chagrin has ebbed and flowed throughout those 22 years. And I think she would say the same about her love towards me. It is not a perfect love. It's not an eternal love, an unchanging love. It's not like the love I have that God has for me through Christ Jesus, it is eternal. That is such a significant point. Now I wish I wish that that point being made from this pulpit would ca- cause people to go to their knees immediately, but so often it doesn't. We we become used to this language. We've become used to these ideas. Oh, that God would transform those ideas and place them in our hearts and, and allow us and help us to, to pursue that with one another. To evidence that with one another. The Most High God is omnipotent. Have you ever considered the fact that the love of God towards us is deeply connected to the attribute of God? And that is omnipotence. An all-powerful love. A love that has done something for us that only an eternally powerful God could do. And not only that, continue to do The Most High God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and this is so important because He is never depleted in any part of His eternal power, including His love. If you are hid in Christ, nothing will separate you from the love of God. We understand that the love we're in, we have been loved is a love that is all-powerful, life-changing, eternally trans- transformative to us. And it's never exhausted with Him. I, for one, cannot wait to experience that in eternity. This omnipotent, all-powerful, all-consuming love. Often we are told of God's love towards us, aren't we? We become immune to it. And then we feel a little uncomfortable talking about the eternal reality of God's love towards us because it has been so abused in our culture today. It is, it is, it is the voice of, of those who, who say, yes, I believe, I believe God, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm gonna do what I wanna do when I wanna do it, and I'm gonna pursue what I wanna pursue when I wanna pursue it. I am my own king. And yet, in our text, we find that God's love has a purpose. It's not simply a filial love or a familial love. It's not simply a warm feeling that God has towards His people. In our text, we find that while we were yet sinners... He has expressed His love for us in and through the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His person, His work. Paul goes on to speak of His love as, as both an eternal reality and as a reality in which we are to live here and now. And my question is, are you abiding in the love of God? Well, preacher, I don't know what that means. Well, let's see if we can find out. In verses 4-7, through But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Did you notice that? You are loved with a love that you do not deserve. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is a reality in eternity now. How can that be? I don't know. But that's what he just said. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Jesus. Did you notice that the center piece, if I could say that, of God's love towards us is Christ Jesus Himself? Do you ever wonder why, when you go to a pastor and say, "I'm struggling with something," "I'm struggling with this," "I'm struggling," "I'm struggling in my prayer life," "I don't feel like God hears me"? We've all had that. If you if you have walked with with uh, God for any length of time in your life, you you have times in your life where God you just sense that God may not be hearing you. You have no sense that He is hearing you at all. I, I just went through that a few months ago. I am so incredibly thankful that my feeling, God is not dependent on how I feel. We are fickle. We think too highly of ourselves. And the only thing that will cure that is looking to Christ. And so you come to a preacher, you come to a counselor, you come to a pastor, an elder, a deacon, and you say, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Has it ever irritated you when they say, look to Christ? That well, That's not enough. No, no, it is. Look to Christ. Christ, Jesus, His person, His work, His exalted state and glorified flesh, even today... Is it God's perfect expression of love towards you, the believer? Who else do you look to? What else can you do but look to Christ and live? Did you know that looking to Christ to live is not a one-time event in the Christian's life? I have determined in my life, when I awake in the morning, I have determined and sought to discipline myself to audibly say, Lord Jesus Christ, I choose to follow You. Thank You for the love that has been shed abroad in my heart. I have decided to follow Jesus, and I have decided to flee from flesh and sin. Well, I thought we were five-point Calvinists. We are. But that doesn't negate your responsibility. The greatest responsibility that we have in this life, life as saints of God is to love God more than anything else and love others As ourselves. In fact, the practical outworking of our love towards God, if people are going to view us and wonder if we love God, it's because we can prove it by our love for one another. The primary purpose of our lives is not to develop systematic theology. Did you know that? And now I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not at all. I love those things. I love developed doctrine. I love to 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 discuss the deep things of theology. But ultimately, the purpose of my life is to bring glory to God, and I bring glory to God by loving Him and proving it by my behavior towards others. Well, that's that's too simple of a thought. You know, I used to think that way. But I've come to a place in my life, in my mind, and in my thinking that I simply want to say what God has said simply. I don't want to apply my presuppositions to Scripture. I just simply want to receive the Word of God. I want to hear from Him, and I don't want to get in the way. The love of God expressed towards us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ is one that has with it the eternal guarantee of future glory with our now glorified Savior. And yet here and now, we are to strive toward that great goal I don't know about you, but I am not pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ for streets of gold. I am not pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ for a mansion in heaven. I am not pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ because I am excited about the ease that eternity will bring in my Christian walk. That is not why I am pursuing Christ. I am pursuing Christ because He has shed His blood he has shed His blood for my sins and, he, and, and, and God has shed His love abroad in my heart. I am chasing after an eternal love. I want to bask in the glory of my Creator God and I want to bask in the love of my Savior towards myself. Going back to that great intercessory prayer in John chapter 17. And now come I to thee. And these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I want his joy fulfilled in myself. Do you? I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world. The world is full of hate. And we can get sucked into it, can't we? Even as I am not of this world, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. If you want to behave like a worldling in the assembly, then be concerned about yourself. Be more concerned about yourself than anybody around you. Think more highly of what you think than you ought. Think more highly. Estimate more highly what you do than you ought. It is very clear... That the reality for us even now that we are loved, it is very clear, we are loved with an eternally holy and powerful love. A love that has saved us and redeemed us to the kingdom of God. We are yet in the flesh and remain in a world that fundamentally hates its creator and the way of salvation that has been provided through Christ. What is your first reaction when you are accosted by somebody in the world for your faith? That will that will speak volumes. That will speak volumes. Can you love those that use you and persecute you and despitefully use you? You know, that's one of the great Testimonies of the martyrs throughout the history of the church. Their utmost concern was the glory of God and the salvation of their persecutors. Often, often they had to be silenced by their persecutors as they openly cried out to God to save those who were persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted their persecutors' eternal good. That's what their driving goal was. So often as they were burned alive, choked, stabbed, fed animals alive, covered in pitch and lit on fire alive to to illuminate the gardens of Rome, I often hear people, we need to stand strong in the face of persecution. We need to stand, we need to stand, I'm going to stand strong in the face of persecution. Are you? Because you can't get along with your brother and sister and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can't do that, I have no expectation that you will hold up under persecution. Because if you can't love your brother or your sister and the Lord Jesus Christ, then who can you love? You certainly won't be able to love the lost and dying. I'm sorry if I get a little emotional about this. This is so near and dear to my heart. Over the past couple of years, I have suffered and my family has suffered the abuses of God's people professing in horrible ways. And I wonder at times, is this love even real? But thanks be to God. I have his word and I have his spirit within me. Otherwise, I would have fallen. You see, the love of God is a preserving love. Nothing is going to be able to separate you from the love of God if you are his. While we yet wait for the culmination of our salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ's return, we are to be a people who keep ourselves in the love of God. Because it is the love of God which has granted to us a great hope for which we are being preserved and for which we persevere. Before Paul writes, of the love of God toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus was divinely sent for us. He says this in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. How is that possible? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because why are we not ashamed before God and before the world? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which he which is given unto us. Brethren. Brethren. In the same way, it was not we who first loved God, but it was He who first loved us and awakened within us our own spiritually dead hearts to newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is not we ourselves who keep ourselves in the love of God. It is not we who keep our se- or it is not we who keep ourselves in the love of God while we yet live in our fallen flesh as we combat sin in our lives and while we yet dwell in this fallen and wicked world it is God alone who preserves and keeps us it is God alone who ensures that we will persevere toward the great prize set before us are you faltering is your is your footing sha- footing shaky right now I can enter into that. I think most of us can. Then look to Christ. The greatest expression of God's love toward man that has ever been. What did He do in the face of His persecutors? What did He do in the face of His mockers? What did He do when one of His followers stumbled and fell? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you see the connection there? Do you see the connection? Do you want to keep yourself in the love of God? Then love your brother and your sister as yourself. Love your enemy. The hope. The hope that we now have is not one that will bring shame upon us because it is God who loves us and keeps us for our own purpose. This is our confidence as we endure tribulation and patience. And I don't know about you, but I think it's become plainly evident that the culture in which we live has become very antagonistic toward the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Western world, which is something new for us. I used to... I used to hear preachers. We could all testify. We'd hear preachers. Persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. When I was a teenager, I was like, yeah, okay, where is it? It's here, folks. It's here. It may not be physical persecution like other parts of the world, but but we're still being rejected by the society in which we live. Who's going to keep us through these things? The world says evil things about the saints of God. What do we do? Do we get in the echo chamber of social media and start rage typing? No. It's not what we do. Sometimes love looks like keeping your mouth shut. That is a lesson I'm still learning, folks. The hope that we now have, again, is not one that will bring shame upon us because it is God's, God who loves us. It's God who keeps us for His own purpose. This is our confidence as we endure tribulation with patience. It is our confidence when we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget who has loved you with a love that is beyond any other love that you have ever experienced or will ever experience in this life or the next. This is our surety as we navigate the experience of this life. This is our great hope that in the love of God, we are preserved and made to persevere. Everything that you do must be motivated by the love of God toward us in His Son. It must be. It has to be. If you will rightly call yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ... That's what it looks like. That's what the straight and narrow path looks like. Consider with me for a moment John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and we'll pick up in verse 15 through 18, then we'll move down to 27 through 30. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that's you and I, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. And then we move down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father... Are one. Brethren, notice that it is that the Lord Jesus Christ, notice what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here in these verses. The Father loves him, and in love for his Father, the Savior obeys him even unto death. We often talk about following the Lord Jesus. How do we do that? We follow Him even as He lived in utter obedience to His Father. That's how we follow Him. How far does that go? Even unto death. So that means until you breathe your last, whether it is a violent, uh, persecution against the church or it is a natural death, you are going to follow the Lord continually. And then the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of those that hear His voice. That's us. That is the people of God. Those given to Him. We ourselves have been given to Him by the Father and we will receive eternal life and that, and, and, and no one will pluck us out of the Father's hand. All of this is wrapped up in an eternal, all-powerful love. The, the love of God. You know, we live in an age of fairy tale theology. And, and so we must understand what it is and what is not being said by our Lord here. Brethren, the, the promise of the Lord here in John is not that we will never face trials. That's not what he's saying. And that's not what's being said by uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. In fact, where it's the Scriptures are very clear. We are going to face trials, tribulations, temptations. These are all words that signify very difficult things. Hard things to deal with. The love of God towards us does not mean that we won't have those times in our life. What it means is that we will persevere through them, those things, those, those opportunities. I like to think of them as opportunities in our life to glorify God. God will help us to... He will preserve us through them and He will help us to persevere through them and overcome... The promise being made in the passage in John that we just read read, is that the love of God is so great, so eternal, so powerful, all powerful, that we cannot, it is a fundamental impossibility to be plucked from his hand, the hand of salvation. In fact, Given the wording that we just saw in John, that discourse made by the Savior, we can assume that not only will there be, there must be, there will most certainly be those who try to pluck us from the hand of the Father. From the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, the Lord clearly says that no one is able. No one's able. That doesn't mean that there won't be those who will try. Guided by their own hatred of their Creator and the true Christian religion, there have been many attempts over the history of the church in which wicked men guided by wicked hearts and used by the wicked one himself have sought to wipe the people of God in Christ off the face of the earth, and yet they have failed at every point. We are living examples of that. You know, this is not a New Testament phenomenon. But it has been the experience of all God's people throughout all ages. We see this even as the Old Testament saints cried out to God for His preserving grace. We see Old Testament saints who are looking toward the promise of God in Christ Jesus. And they say things like the psalmist said in Psalm 16, Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. Psalm 121, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord spoke through His prophets concerning these things. In Isaiah 49, thus saith the Lord, in the acceptable time have I heard Thee, and in the, a day of salvation have I helped Thee, and I will preserve Thee, and give Thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause, to inherit the desolate heritages. And after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, and the church began to experience the hate of which He had spoken while He was on earth, the apostles spoke in the exact same terms as they heard the Lord Jesus Christ was the exact same terms that we see in the Old Testament concerning the preservation that God enacts over His people by His love, His grace, and His mercy. In 2 Timothy 4.18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All of this is a consequence of eternal love. Notice that what we find in these passages is not simply the preservation of one's own life here on earth. You are not guaranteed to survive this life. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You will die. And yet, there will be times that the Lord may preserve your life in the face of death. We've seen that happen in Scripture and in life. But what we find in Scripture within these passages that we have been reading concerning the preservation of God's truth, His will, His kingdom, His glory, His promise... His people. We're seeing that God has redeemed a people. He has redeemed us. In the lives we now live, preservation must come with perseverance. If you are not persevering, you cannot very well say, that you have been preserved. At least not in that point in time. And what we're talking is not just any perseverance, but one that carries with it divine help, divine love. Again, this was the hope of the Old Testament saints even as they looked forward to a future promise in the coming Savior. You know, I was talking earlier With someone about the, the the seed and the sower. There are those who will fall away, and that's a mark that God's love has not actually been shed abroad in their heart. But if it has, He will help you. Persevere and He will help He will preserve you. In Ezekiel thirty six, twenty-six, we find this word these words, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away a stony heart, the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Jeremiah 31.33 But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put My law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be My people. This is the consequence of divine love. And as we consider the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that we've read earlier, that, that no one will be able to pluck us from his hand. We come to understand that not only is his promise of eternal life sealed for us, but that even in this life we will be preserved unto eternal life and we will persevere toward that hope that is within us by the, by his powerful and gracious hand. We should not speak in terms of what we are pursuing when it comes to the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be speaking in terms of who are we pursuing. That has made all the difference in my life over the past few years. That realization. Not what, but who. This understanding was one that was consistently witnessed to by the apostles as they sought to encourage the saints of God enduring what they must endure in this life for the sake of Christ Jesus and His Gospel. We find in Philippians 1 through 3-6, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all make requests with joy for your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ if that is not divine love I don't know what is First Peter 1, 3 through 6, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. If that is not the love of God toward us, I don't know what is. So what does this all mean? How do we see God's love upon us through His preservation and His help in our perseverance in the faith? We are told very clearly in the epistle of Jude to keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life. How do we do this? How are we to view such scripture as this as, as we persevere and are preserved by God's love towards us? And the fact is that the love of God is not to be treated as some abstract thought. Through which we might lift our spirits in time of trial. But we are commanded to do something that is rooted in the objective love of God for us. What did Christ Jesus say in Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 25? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. How can such a statement bring comfort to anyone? Does this contradict the idea of preservation and perseverance? It does. But only if we fail to understand what it is for which we are being preserved. You see, when we are told to take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ to die to self, what we are being told is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul and to behave like it. That is precisely how you pick up your cross and follow Christ. Your life is a witness that you love God more than anything else. Your witness in this life is that, or ought to be, that you love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else. This is going to be a hard one. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ more than you love your wife? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ more than you love your own children? That's hard stuff. Now, if we're being honest, our love for, if you're a believer, your love for your wife and your love for your children ought to be uh, that which comes from a place of love for God first. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't love your, your mother, your father, your wife, your child. But the question is, when's the last time you did a search for an idol of the heart? When's the last time that you asked the Lord God most high in fear and reverence to Him, knowing that He loves you, Lord, please show me where I am getting in the way of loving you and loving your people. The love of God expressed to us in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us from sin and degradation has granted to us new hearts of love for God and His Word. No longer is it the desire of the saint that these temporal lives be spent on ourselves for ourselves. Did you hear that? If the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart, your motivation in life is not you, yourself. Our lives now in time and space only have meaning in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we are simply like the grass that fades and blows away, the flower that withers. The only way we can overcome that is in Christ Jesus. Our works of righteousness ought not be motivated by our desire to appease an angry God. Why? Why shouldn't I create a checklist whereby I live? Whereby I keep myself in the love of God? Because Christ has borne the wrath of God for sin already. Our motivation for works of righteousness to which we have been predestined find its goal in the love of God toward us. And I'm seeing this as a, this isn't the only point that Paul is making, but it is a primary point that Paul is making in this passage. Our motivation for works of righteousness to which we have been predestined. If you have been predestined in Christ, you have also been predestined for works of righteousness. But in those works of righteousness, our goal is to pursue Christ. Our goal is to love God. Our goal is to love others. And our motivation for works of righteousness to which we've been predestined also finds its goal in the love of God towards us expressed by Christ's own person. We have an example whereby we are to follow. No one has, no one in flesh has ever loved like Christ has loved. No one. I want to, I want so desperately to love like the Lord Jesus Christ. I fail. I failed yesterday, if I'm being honest. But if we are one of God's, we our minds are brought in quick order, in quick fashion. At least they ought to be. If we're filled by the Holy Ghost, we ought to be brought back in very quick fashion to say, "You know what? I'm being selfish. I am idolizing myself over another another person who 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 also has the Spirit that I've been filled with." I had better change my behavior and thoughts towards those those, those people because it it's dishonoring to Christ. What what, going back to the Lord Jesus Christ again and what He had to say in John chapter fifteen verse eight? Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. What is the first? Fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned. Thank you, brother. Love is that from which every other Christian fruit emanates. And if you do not love God, and if you do not love the people of God, you should not expect any joy whatsoever in your life. It's that important. As the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ continues, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love For His friends. You know the Lord Jesus Christ there? I used to be convinced He was talking about Himself there. I'm not any longer. I'm convinced that He's talking about us. Are we willing to lay down our lives to give up of ourselves for one another? Just as Christ gave His life for us. You see, if you have a willingness towards that, everything else starts to fall in place. Everything else in your Christian life begins to fall in place if you live with this concept that I am going to have the same mind that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. That even though I am thinking rightly, that even though uh, I am a Christian... And that I'm saved by God's grace. That doesn't mean that I should elevate myself any higher than what scripture has elevated me. In fact, the Lord Jesus, Christ, or the Lord was clear by the Spirit of God. The apostle writes what? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. The Lord Jesus Christ was exalted in due time. And we share in that inheritance. He is the firstborn among many brethren. And as our older brother, He loved perfectly and we ought to pursue the same. We are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ in His love for the Father and in His love for us to lay down our lives for His sake even as we love one another. As you have done to one of these, so you have done to me. If that doesn't break your heart immediately. If that doesn't break your heart immediately. As you look back over your life and how you've treated some people. how And it breaks my heart how I've fought and how I've treated some people in the past. As I did to them, I did to the Lord Jesus Christ. The perseverance that is often spoken about in the world looks nothing like what we find concerning the preservation and perseverance of the saints because it is based in fleshly, prideful, God-denying self-love. Only a love that is eternal. Only a love that is holy. Only a love that is far greater than All our sin and guilt can be a love that changes our own affection away from self-preservation and toward the goal of glorifying God through Christ even as we abandon that which we once held so dear. True Christian preservation and perseverance is antithetical to what the world's definition of preservation and perseverance are. Because God has loved us, God has saved us and now keeps us, we no longer look to preserve our own interests, but we are being preserved by His love for us through Christ Jesus for the world to come in Christ. No longer do we uh, persevere toward those things that we once thought worthwhile. But by God's love for us through the Lord Jesus Christ, His law is written on our hearts and we persevere in this life to glorify Him above all other things. Practically, this means that we sacrificially show our love for God in Christ Jesus by following His great example to us as our King by sacrificially loving one another. You want to make your calling and election sure? You can get rid of the checklist and simply ask yourself, have I sacrificed of myself for the good of God's people? Is love for God through Jesus Christ our motivating I'm sorry, is the is love for God through Jesus Christ our motivation in persevering? Or do you often think to yourself, I'm going to pick myself up, pull myself up by the bootstraps? Is the way we work, is the way we raise our families... Is the, way, is the way that we maintain friendships and have fellowship with the saints in the context of the church marked by keeping ourselves in the love of God? Is the way we speak, think, feel, and react marked, marked by the abiding love of God towards us and the Lord Jesus Christ and our abiding in that love? These are important questions to ask ourselves as we measure our own gospel preservation and perseverance. I think it can be said that when we see these things in ourselves and others, it bears testimony to the fact that God is love and has shed His love abroad in our hearts through which we are living in the hope of that great inheritance which is being kept by Him. And I want to close with First John 4. You can't preach a message like this and not reference first John four. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us. Have you believed that love, y'all? Are you believing that love? God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. That's why I say that when you dwell in love, and when your actions communicate that you are dwelling in love, you look you look more like the Lord Jesus Christ than at any other point in your life. These are important questions to ask ourselves as we pursue our own Gospel, preservation and perseverance. Please look to Christ and live. Please follow His example. If you are struggling with a seed of bitterness, if you are struggling with anger, if you are struggling with somebody in the church, oh, won't you just die to self and love that person? Please? I beg you, Please. Because I love you. And I want you to love others. And I want you to love God above all else. And I want you to testify of that love. Oh, that the people of God would not move so far away from these things in their mind that they become cursory. Old news. And if you have not experienced the love of God being shed abroad in your heart, look to Christ and live. Just as we are looking to Christ to live, you must look to Christ to live. Repent of your rebellion. Repent of your hatred towards God. Repent of these things. Turn to Christ and experience the love of God in your life like you've never experienced before. In a deep personal way, a transformative way.